Lord, we just give ourselves to you this morning. We come to you, Father, with um, just hearts that desire to know you, that desire to serve you. And Father, uh, we just thank you for all the blessings that you give us. Lord, we know that every good thing comes from you. And Father, as we are just entering into this time with you, we just pray, Lord, that you would just um, receive our worship. Lord, that your word says that everything that has breath praise you. And Father, that is our desire this morning. We know, Lord, that no matter what circumstances we're facing, Lord, that we can praise you because we can put our hope and our trust in you. Lord, we thank you for that. <clears throat> we pray, Father, that you would just be with all those in our world who are hurting this morning. We pray for those who have just faced such devastation and uh, loss. We just pray, Lord, that you would just give them your comfort and your care. Father, we think about all of our opportunities this, this week and throughout the year to just be your hands and feet in our world and in our community. And Lord, I just pray that you would just put that heavily on our hearts, Lord, that we are not just Christians in relationship only with you, Lord, but that we are here to serve others in your name, Father, so that they may come to know you also. And Lord, we just pray that you be with us the remainder of this time this morning, that you just would uh, help us to receive your message, Lord, help us to live it out, to uh, not just take it in, Lord, but just to um, go into our world and and live for you. Lord, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May be seated. And we say that prayer week after week after week. And like anything you repeat, it's easy to have it lose its meaning. You know, when I do premarital counseling, one of the things I try to help couples say is, I love you because... And I want them to just say, I love you, but I want them to add meaning to that as well so that they're thinking about why I love my spouse, how that plays itself out, how I can express words of appreciation. So please say, I love you, but also put some meaning to it along the way. And that's, that's what we're doing here with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we are taking some time this fall to think about what we are saying when we repeat those familiar words. So this morning, we come to the phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So I guess I should probably just start out by tackling the question many people ask. Why do some churches use the word debts and other churches use the word trespasses? Well, it goes all the way back to William Tyndale in the 16th century. He left England to hide in continental Europe while he did something that was very illegal. He translated the Bible 
from Latin into English. Because at that time, you were only allowed to have a copy of the Bible or to read or hear the Bible in Latin. I know it sounds like no big deal to us today, but, but that, that was the law. And actually, they found out what he was doing in England and a huge manhunt ensued all over the continent. Spies were everywhere. It took them eight years, but they finally caught William Tyndale, brought him back to England to stand trial where he was convicted of heresy and by the order of King Henry VIII, he was burned at the stake on October 6th, 1536. Now, oddly enough, just three years later in 1539, the king had changed his mind. He ordered the English translation be made available to every parish of the newly formed Church of England. And Tyndale, who translated predominantly from Latin, used the words, the word trespasses in Matthew chapter 5, where he was translating that part that has become known as the Lord's Prayer. So it was later incorporated into the Book of Common Prayer in 1549 and used by English-speaking churches all over the British Empire. Then it, in uh, 1611, King James I authorized a new version that was not translated uh, from those old texts, but actually from the best Greek texts that were available. And it more accurately translated the Greek term ophile as debts. However, you know how tradition is, right? So Christians had been saying trespasses in the Lord's Prayer for almost a century by the time the King James Version came along with probably a more accurate translation. So consequently, some churches stayed with the Book of Common Prayer and continued to use the word trespasses because it had already stuck and become tradition. And then others, as in our tradition, follow the wording of the King James Version. And it became actually such an amazing version of the Bible that it was the standard translation for the English-speaking world for 350 years. That's probably more information than you wanted. But if you were wondering how those two different traditions came about, it goes back a long, long ways. Now, I just want to remind you that uh, whether you say debts or trespasses, them's not fighting words. You know, there, there, there's some people who, they get focused on minor things. And, and, and one church may follow one tradition, another may follow another, and, and sometimes we just get, we get angry and frustrated over things that don't matter all that much. Matter of fact, my favorite joke about the, about the Lord's Prayer comes from that, that saying where trespasses. Uh, I don't know if you've heard a little boy who's trying to memorize the Lord's Prayer, 
And he would, when he got to this point, he said, and forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. <laughs> and even that works, right? That's, that's, that's good theology. So uh, obviously, uh, we're thinking about this concept that we have a debt that is larger than we can pay. And Jesus used that metaphor of indebtedness for how we should understand how sin affects our relationship with the Lord. Maybe you remember his, his most famous story about this taken from Matthew chapter 18. It started like this. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So Jesus took that one petition in the, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and, and he turned it into this story for us to consider the reality that being forgiven necessitates, it only took me three tries, okay? Necessitates being forgiving. And when you say the Lord's Prayer, you make a request and you accept a responsibility. The request, of course, is forgive us. And, you know, if you don't realize that you've not done anything wrong, you will never ask for forgiven. Because you have to own your responsibility in order to ask for forgiveness. That's why the ABCs of salvation begin with A. I must first admit I'm a sinner. And, and sadly, this world is full of people who never ask for forgiveness because they're convinced they don't need it. Jesus made it clear 
we all need to ask for forgiveness as a part of our ongoing relationship with God. It is acknowledgement of the reality of our sinfulness. And this is that reality. Sin has created a debt you cannot repay. In Jesus' story, the servant owed a debt that was way beyond repayment. You'll notice in the NIV, they've just decided not to give it a contemporary monetary value. They just call it 10,000 bags of gold. Well, I did the research for you. Today, um, that 10,000 bags of gold, called 10,000 talents in the original translation, if you calculated it now, it's a little over $7 billion. An, an astronomical amount. I mean, Jesus wanted to turn this into a hyperbole that was so far beyond what we could imagine that, you know, he owed more money than you could make in a dozen lifetimes. You know, we have to come to grips with the reality that sin has created a debt that we can never repay. And sadly, we often don't even understand that. We can't get there in our minds. We try to convince ourselves that we can take care of spiritual business on our own. That servant that owed $7 billion when he was asked to repay, this was his response. Be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. Impossible. He couldn't ever do it. But the master forgave his debt. Now, there's one important little detail I don't want you to skip over in this story. And that's that this servant never asked for forgiveness. He said, I'll pay it back. And because he didn't value it, being forgiven didn't change his heart. I hope you make the spiritual connection there. God has already provided fully for your forgiveness. From his perspective, it's a done deal. But if it's going to have any real impact in your life, you must recognize that you need it and you must ask for it. And that's exactly what happens when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. You are asking for God's forgiveness. Because according to Jesus, it's not just a one-off proposition. We regularly are in need of forgiveness. It's the nature of sin. You know, actually in the Bible, there are, there are two classic definitions for sin. Uh, one is missing the mark. You know, the idea is that there's a spiritual bullseye out there. And we all know how we fall woefully short of living perfectly all the time. We are always missing the bullseye. And in that sense, we ought to be continually asking the Lord for forgiveness. Because we're in a debt 
way over our heads, and we need to be experiencing ongoing forgiveness. That's why 1 John 1, 7 is a, is a verse probably every Christian should memorize because it talks about that ongoing process of forgiveness that happens out of a relationship that continues with the Lord. It's the one that says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We keep walking with Jesus we keep asking for forgiveness, and God keeps cleaning our hearts as an ongoing process. If you ask the Lord, He will keep the wash cycle on repeat in your heart, and He will keep you clean. You will live imperfectly, you will fail. But the Lord continues to grant forgiveness for those who ask him, for those who seek his work in their lives. And that's why you need to be asking for forgiveness as a, a regular part of your prayer life. There's also a second definition for sin in the Bible. And we describe it this way. It is willful disobedience to the known will of God. This is the Adam and Eve kind of sin. You know, when uh, Satan came in and said to Eve, what did God say? Eve was able to spit out the command verbatim. So we can eat at any tree in the garden we want except for that one. And God told us we're not allowed to eat from that one. She knew exactly what God's will was and decided to do differently. Sometimes when you pray, forgive us our debts, it's a general confession because you know you've missed the mark. But there are also some other times when the Lord speaks to your heart and reminds you of a specific action or attitude or a grudge that you're carrying or whatever it might be. He speaks to you about what you have done or said, and that's the time to make specific confession. So there are times in your life where you just say, Lord, please forgive me because I, I know I've failed. There are other times when you know exactly how you failed. And in those moments, your confession needs to be much more specific because it is more deeply personal. So forgive us our debts covers this sort of general failings that are a part of our lives. But sometimes it has to do with something that is very specific that is blocking my relationship with the Lord because I, I'm holding it instead of confessing it. And in those moments, give yourself to the Lord. I'm so thankful that Jesus said this is how believers are supposed to pray. It's not just, I don't confess my sin once, say, oh, now I'm saved, got that done, and don't have to worry about it again. It's part of this ongoing relationship that you're building with the Lord. Aren't you thankful that forgiveness is always available, and all you have to do is ask for it? End of the story, right? Well... Not according to the Lord's prayer and not according to Jesus' famous story. 
not only do we have this request, we also have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to be forgiving. You know, as Jesus told his story, the servant who was forgiven all that money went out and found a friend who owed him a hundred denarii. In today's money, that's about $10,000. That's quite a bit of money, not compared to $7 billion. But he said exactly the same thing to his fellow servant that, he, that uh, the master, he had, the other one had said to the master, he said, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Uh, is it conceivable to pay back $10,000? Yes, certainly. But when we hold grudges, they run deep and they often blind us of reality. And we, we don't think that debt can be forgiven. We're, we're, we put our minds in a neutral. We, we don't think logically anymore. And, and make no mistake about it. When someone has done you wrong, it creates a relational debt. And, and Satan wants you focused on what's fair or on how hurt you are or on what you deserve or for that matter, what he or she deserves because of what they've done. Satan wants you focused on all of those things. And Jesus wants you focused on grace. I so often have heard someone say, shouldn't he or she pay for what they've done? And that debt becomes an obsession. Uh, maybe that's how the word trespasses made, it made its way into the book of common prayer. Because when we've been wrong, it feels like somebody's trespassing in our lives. And, and we develop the same attitude as the proverbial crotchety old man. Get off my lawn! And the Lord wants us to default to, to grace because grace forgives. And it's often not the natural response we have to situations. We say, after what they've done, why should I forgive him or her? If you don't have any other reason to forgive the people around you, this one is enough. You've been forgiven. And when you forget that, it changes everything. I mean, in Jesus' story, the stakes are high. When the master discovers the servant who had been forgiven so much refused to forgive what was relatively so little, don't miss this, he revoked forgiveness already granted. And the lesson is clear. Forgiveness received is nullified by refusal to grant forgiveness to others. Are you catching that? This is a hugely spiritual moment for us to be considering. When you pray, forgive us our debts, 
there's a caveat that you also add. As we forgive our debtors. Forgive those who trespass against us as we forgive them. So hugely important for us to understand. I hope you're making it personal. Father, forgive me. Every time you say those words, you create accountability. Because it goes with the second half of the phrase as I forgive my debtors. If this was just about money, it would be a simple matter. But, but Jesus used money as an illustration of what happens spiritually in relationships. And what this really has to do with is those things that deeply wound us. The things other people have done to us. And that's why it's so important. And I know how God works. So while we're talking about this Lord's Prayer and this phrase, God has a way of bringing somebody's uh, circumstance to your mind. And you're thinking about someone or something that has wounded you. A and the Lord's, the Lord's reminding you that if you're going to be forgiven, you need to be forgiving. And, and there's something inside of us that rises up in that moment. It's this spiritual stubbornness that comes up in our hearts. And we have a tendency to say to ourselves, not him, not her. And we we'll almost want to turn to the Lord and say, you don't know what they've done. Isn't that a silly statement? And God comes along and he he, he lays that circumstance or that person on your heart today. And he's asking you to live out this prayer that you say every week. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is where the spiritual rubber meets the road. And it's time for you to practice the words you pray. Every Sunday when we say those words together. And you know, I'd, I'd like to say you could get that fixed right here, right now. <laughs> but the, this is a decision that you make in this moment that you have to live out in the days to come. And so I, I just want to ask God's grace in your lives as, as you live out this hugely important phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Father, I'm, I, I'm giving um, my family and God to you today because I know how easy it is for us to harbor hurts 
and for us to, to carry grudges and for us to insist that things ought to be fair. And I know how that works in our lives. And I know because you're faithful, for some of us, a face or a name or a circumstance has come right to the forefront of our thinking. And it's in that context that we simply want to say, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Help us to take that spiritual reality and live it out in life. Give us courage and strength and grace to live forgiven by being forgiving. In Jesus' name, we give ourselves today. Amen. and welcome back to the Galleon Grace Point podcast. Uh, we just got done listening to another sermon and this is the, or another wonderful sermon from Pastor Paul in the What Did You Just Pray series that is continuing right now. Um, this week was uh, Forgive Us Our Debts as We Forgive Our Debtors. And a lot of talk about forgiveness and I thought he broke it down pretty pretty well that uh, in order to receive forgiveness, you first have to give forgiveness and uh that can be that can be hard a lot of times um i i can think of many moments with family members and friends where i was just like i'm done with this person like i, I you know go away I, I don't need them anymore um and a lot of that was you know w the devil really getting to me um I can think specifically of specific moments, not even that long ago to where I was like this, I, I'm done with this person. I don't ever want to go to their house anymore. I don't want to be around them, blah, blah, blah. And it's not, it's not the right thing to do. Um, and I have, I have forgiven those people. You know, I, I try to reach out as much as I can. I think there for a long time, you know, I would think if this person isn't putting in the effort, why am I? And that's not really a way to live, to be honest. Um, it's not the way Jesus would want you to live. I, you know, th there's something to be said to always being the, the bigger person and uh, showing your faith. And I, th I think that's a good point. And it, you truly have to forgive if you want God's forgiveness. Um, 
a lot of parables and examples in that sermon, you know, the guy that owned or owed all the debts. And, uh, even though his debtor had forgiven him, uh, the guy that owed the debt really didn't understand forgiveness, didn't have forgiveness in Christ in his heart. Um, so I think it's a, it's an easy rut to fall into. Um, we're all guilty of it. Um, you know, he even explained we're, we're constant in prayer with our forgiveness. It's, it's gotta be a constant thing. Um, and sometimes it has to be specific. If, if there's something that's weighing on your heart and, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. God knows everything, but it's almost like you don't want to talk to the Lord about certain things, but, uh, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be pretty specific in your, uh, forgiveness sometimes. So, uh, show grace. Jesus wants us to show grace is, I guess, uh, how I would put a bow on that sermon. And, uh, I think that's a pretty darn good way to live, to be honest. So, uh, I'll throw it over to, uh, my quote unquote guest. I have, uh, my beautiful wife on this week. Uh, so, uh, go ahead. So I think you pretty much wrapped it up. We're all guilty of it, but I did think back to, I think another sermon where pastor, pastor Paul had said the first, um, Bible people read is you. So it made me think as Christians, we really should be forgiving in those situations. I've been in situations where, I'm just so thankful that I didn't get the I told you so or I didn't get the backlash from somebody, you know, not being forgiving. And I and I really think that there's something to be said in that and that you can see when people are giving grace and and it makes you almost more thankful and people are going to recognize, you know, your personality as a Christian and being forgiven and just it's it's a great way to you know kind of get the word of God out there without shoving it in their face it's just being graceful yeah absolutely I I think you did uh pretty well explaining that so uh we got a couple more weeks left in this series breaking down the Lord's Prayer um I think two weeks left if I'm not mistaken and then uh baptism coming up and uh, a lot of things going on in the life of church. But uh, for now, I will uh, send it over to, again, my guest. It's going to be really difficult uh, interviewing her because I think I, I know most about her. But uh, well, so all right, let's let's uh, let's let everyone here at church know uh, some of your background and some of our background. Um, so I grew up with my parents divorced pretty early. My dad was pretty busy. He had a business, and my mom um, was more or less a single mom who was raising three kids, so she was also very busy uh, getting her master's degree and working, so I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' houses on both sides, and then, you know, my mom graduated with her master's in education and started teaching. So I was at Crestview, but then moved to Shelby and started um, my schooling there and graduated. And then during that time, I had met you. So do you want to talk about that at all? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the, the floor is yours. I, so I was a senior in high school and Rochelle was a sophomore. I we were from different schools. Um, I <clears throat> knew her sister from going to school with her and basically kind of how we got connected there. But uh, I'll let you go on from there. 
So we had Brantley pretty early and got married after. Uh, I was 18 and Zach was 20. So after that, you know, we kind of had a pretty normal-ish life, but definitely not a life of faith. Zach grew up in the Catholic Church but wasn't really practicing the religion. I didn't have really many religious influences growing up, so we didn't have that in our life. And then it was about time to have another child. So Zach, you know, was really pushing. I was kind of hesitant because we had had some issues with fertility and um, a couple losses. So I was very anxious about that. And he was pretty persistent that we needed to try. So by the grace of God, we did get pregnant pretty easily. Um, but before I had gotten pregnant, I had known that I probably couldn't go through like another loss or any, um, type of concrete fertility diagnosis. Um, so I, I guess I'm going to backtrack a little bit, you know, throughout my life I had, um, developed like a perception of people who were strong and I realized that a lot of things that uh, or what they had in common was that they all had faith so I had you know seen a lot of people that have had overcome hardships and um, just really seemed like a very strong they seemed like really strong people to me so I had had that in the back of my head I need to become strong in my faith. I need to be strong because I don't think I'm going to get through this if it doesn't work out. So I started listening to a podcast that um, kind of went through the Bible verse by verse, by verse, chapter by chapter. And I would say uh, probably listened to that for two years without really even talking to Zach about it. And, you know, all of the doubts that I had had about God and like faith were really subsided. I didn't have much of that anymore. I was pretty strong. Well, I think also there for a little while you were kind of spurned by almost a bad example of faith from people that we had been around and you just, you weren't connecting with what it was about. And I think it, I think it correlates to the series of going through the motions and just saying the prayer to say the prayer and not really realizing what you're saying where you know we were kind of in a rut and surrounded by people that I I would say weren't practicing so in the podcast the preacher talks about how you really you know you can listen to this podcast all you want but you really need to be finding a church that your family can go to so I had that weighing on my heart um and, you know, the only church that Zach and I had ever went to, we got, we had a Catholic wedding. Um, you know, both of our kids were baptized in the Catholic church. Our son had just completed his first communion. And like Zach said, we were just kind of going through the motions because this is what Catholics do. And I c- totally couldn't relate because I was not uh, Catholic growing up. So I was more or less doing this because I thought it's what I should do. But I started having more reservations and um, just listening to and developing my own faith 
more reservations about, you know, how I was being in the church and how I, I didn't enjoy going to church. And I, you know, I should be honored to go to church. I should look forward to this. This is such a gift. No, at that time, it definitely felt like a chore for us, honestly. Um, and I, and I don't want this to come off as bashing or anything like that. It just, it didn't work for us, but you know, it works for plenty of other people. It wasn't, it wasn't what we needed. Yeah. I, I didn't walk away from, um, like a sermon feeling like fulfilled. fulfilled. And so I, I had been praying and praying and praying that Zach and I would find a church that our whole family could go to. And, you know, our relationship with God could grow because that's really important. Um, and a community and being in a community that did hold you accountable to that relationship where you're continually growing with God. So I, um, you know, prayed and luckily, (laughs) well, hold on before you get to that, we did try one other one before this one. A very long time ago. It was probably like, I'd say probably a year and a half before we got here is when we had went maybe two years, but again, it was still in college. Okay, maybe I, I, <laughs> my concept of time isn't great. But. So we had tried one. Zach was not a fan. Um, so I was very, and this was before the podcast, before, you know, I really even had started my relationship with God. It was just more or less, maybe we should find a church. Um, but I hadn't had a relationship with God at that point. So we had tried a church and we both did not like it. Um so I prayed. I knew I would only have one more shot with Zach to go to a church because he was pretty persistent on he wasn't going to any other church than the Catholic Church. So we got really lucky. Our first sermon here, we walked out and it was perfect. We, Zach was totally, un- I was very anxious to see how Zach had felt about it because I know how I had felt that it was, you know, the perfect fit and um, he had felt the same way. So we have continued coming and in coming to church, we both have continued to grow with the Lord. I think I, this is a good part for me because I'm not usually a social person you know it was it was really easy to just be in my car by myself listening to a podcast and it would have been easy or to fall into temptations and all of that that kind of stuff that happens when you don't have a church that's holding you accountable and you don't have good people around you that are holding you accountable so it has been a really big blessing to to get here yeah, it absolutely has. Um, you know, I kind of touched on that in the first episode with Pastor Paul and uh, uh, totally admit it. Like I, I came into this in, in here with zero expectations of ever coming back again. I had no thoughts. I was like, all right, we'll just check this one off the list real quick. Um, but uh, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> so, um but step back a little bit, um, you know, you were talking about when you were pregnant with Emery and, you know, praying constantly, realizing you couldn't do it, you know, without God on your side, without Jesus in your life. <clears throat> um, I think it was Thanksgiving when you were pregnant with Emery when 
you were finally comfortable to let everyone know that we were having another child. And at that point, everything was joyous. Like we were celebrating, um, super happy. Everything was going well. And then, uh, not long after that, probably what a week, maybe, maybe two at most, um, kind of had some, some very, uh, stark fears come out. So, uh, if you want to touch on that a little bit. So I think looking back, God was definitely at work in our lives very much. Then he's constantly at work, but this was definitely a, um, come to Jesus moment where, you know, I had been listening to the podcast and I got pregnant. So I just kept listening to the podcast. I wasn't really like taking the next steps as a Christian. And, and I don't think that was enough for God. He was like, you know, like show me your faith and not at all that this was like a punishment, but it was more or less a test of my faith. We got a diagnosis when I was, um, 20, 21 weeks pregnant that I had a placental tumor that had a fatality rate for, um, Emery. Well, at the time she was Quinn. (laughs) No, Oakley. Oakley. Yes. And, um, it had a a 70% fatality rate. And at the time there was actually no good treatment. It was more or less just monitor um, the pregnancy. And when the baby becomes too stressed out, hopefully it's before, you know, by the age of viability and, you know, induce pregnancy and deliver before, you know, it's kind of like, it was just like writing the line of death of, medical professionals kind of waiting until Emery couldn't handle it enough to induce pregnancy, but trying to wait long enough that she wouldn't be so premature. So I got, so I had, well, well, hold on one second, um, not to interrupt, but there was uh, a, a part in that. So after we had found out that we were having a girl and after we had let family and everyone know right around Thanksgiving, we had had an ultrasound at your previous doctor And this is like, my wife is incredibly smart and intuitive. She had an ultrasound and they'd scheduled a follow-up like very quickly. So what had happened was I had arrived to my 21-week ultrasound early. And early enough to where they were like, you know what, we'll just do your ultrasound. Or no, you can meet with your doctor now. And then we'll do your ultrasound because your doctor's available now when typically you have the ultrasound and then you meet with your doctor. But the particular facility that I was at at the time was very um, in and out like they want to get you in and out. So they got me in to see my doctor first and then to have my ultrasound. So during the ultrasound, the ultrasound technician had left the room to go talk to the doctor and she came back and she said we're gonna have to schedule a four-week follow-up your placenta is measuring a little large and Zach and I had known that something was wrong you know we didn't couldn't imagine you know what had happened or what but they still didn't like give us any info they just acted like everything was normal so she uh, after um you know after going through all of it I found you know 
and talking to the doctor, she couldn't give the diagnosis. She had asked the doctor to come in and give me the diagnosis, but he couldn't. So she is not a medical professional and she could not actually legally give that diagnosis. So I found out, I went home, I looked at my chart or um, it was maybe a different type of portal back then, but, and it had said um, suspected choreoangioma. So then I start Googling. (laughs) And that was the nightmare. That's when the nightmare really started because Google that word and it's not a positive outlook whatsoever. So the biggest um, thing on the internet was choreoangiomas are fairly common um, and they are not necessarily a health risk to the mom or the baby if they are under two centimeters. But if they do grow to be more than two centimeters, they can cause significant risk. They can cause um, congestive heart failure for the baby, anemia, um, infection, sepsis for the mom, a ton of different, you know, risk. And ultimately, you know, Dr. Emery had explained it, that it's parasitic in a malignant fashion and eventually the the baby will fail so and when we were with him he had explained it like yeah I was gonna say like when you googled I'm trying to remember exactly how you found him is well we'll get there okay okay but (laughs) I thought I was the host of this (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I had googled it and I was like oh my gosh I like I can't believe that I might have this diagnosis and nobody told me so I called the doctor, of course, my appointment was on a Friday, so I had to wait until Monday to call the doctor. And they said, you know, they could get me in at 11 o'clock. And I was like, okay. So I told my boss, I'm like, do you mind if I run down the road and go to the doctor's office? And she was like, no, absolutely go. And so I went and he, the first thing he said to me was, so you've been looking at my chart. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was uncommon back then, but I was looking at my chart and he said, well, we're not worried about it. That's why we didn't tell you about it. And we scheduled a follow-up appointment in four weeks to make sure that everything's okay. And And the only question I had had at the time, because this was the biggest question, you know, that was surfacing on the internet, I said, how big is the tumor? And he said, we didn't get any measurements, but it's very small. And I was like, okay. So I, being the non-confrontational person that I am, left that doctor's appointment and I was going to wait four weeks. But luckily, my boss is a very, what at the time was a very confrontational but great person. You know, she, she said, you're finding a new doctor today and you're going back and you're getting your medical records. And so I was like, oh goodness, I do not want to do this. I mean, 20 weeks into my pregnancy, I was like, I definitely don't want to switch doctors. And your stress level was already like at the highest I've ever seen it. So um, I did exactly what she said because you do not tell her no. So I found another doctor and then she sent me back to the doctor's office to get the medical records. So I went to the doctor's office and um, they said, well, we can we can send them over. So I called my boss at the time, which was Billy. Her name was Billy. And I said, they said that they could send them over. And she said, no, tell them you'll wait, sit down and get your medical records. So 
I waited and I got them. And then the next week, um, I had an appointment with Dr. Huggins, who was my new doctor. And he was, I mean, he sat and he talked to me <laughs> for like an hour and a half, probably five times longer than all of the appointments I had had with my previous provider put together. So he, it was at the end of the day again. So he kind of like rushed out of the room to see if the ultrasound technician was there and she wasn't. So he was going to try to get an ultrasound that day. And at this time it was around Thanksgiving. So, um, he said, you know, we won't be able to get one until a couple days from now, but come in first thing Monday morning and we'll get you in. So I get my ultrasound Monday morning and the ultrasound technician says your um, tumor is five centimeters. And so... Well, and he was saying, you know, you had told him that the other guy had said that it was smaller and he kind of w- at the time was... He said, I've looked over all of your medical records and I don't see a measurement anywhere. And I really want a measurement. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he had hi- kind of rushed out to see if the ultrasound technician was there, but she had went home for the day. Yeah, but I remember at that time that, you know, he kind of also thought probably not that big of a deal. And then I remember when you had the appointment, he basically looked at it and was didn't know what to say to you because... Yeah, so this was also during COVID. So Zach was not allowed to go to the appointments with me. So I'm by myself and I'm in the ultrasound t- room and the ultrasound technician again leaves to go get the doctor and she tells him like in that room she says you know it's five centimeters and he said i wasn't expecting that we're gonna have to get you into osu and so you know once i got my composure and i could go home again i get on google and nothing online looks good you know the treatments like we said there wasn't really a good option so um I usually don't watch videos I'm not a big like youtuber I usually like to read things but for some reason I did just switch the tab over to videos at the top of google and the first thing that popped up was a commercial that a doctor had done um from UPMC, so the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. So, well, hold on one second. I'm going to pause it for a second because I I want to put in the I actually want to put in the audio from that commercial so everybody can hear what we heard. So I'm going to pause it real quick and put that audio in here so you all can hear it, and then we'll go on. My name is Dr. Stephen Emery. I'm the director of the Center for Innovative Fetal Intervention at UPMC. A chorangioma is essentially it's a benign tumor of the placenta. So it's it's made of cells that belong in the placenta. They're just very disorganized. So blood goes into it and the tumor grows. As the tumor grows, the harder it becomes for the fetus to supply it. It's parasitic in a malignant fashion. And at some point, the fetus will fail. What if you can change that? What if you can get in there and prevent that from happening? That, that's powerful medicine. People have tried a bunch of different things for this. One, one option in the early days was to open the abdomen, open the uterus, and take the tumor out. But you can imagine complications associated with that. We tried other tools that we have in our toolbox, which aren't that many. 
and a lot of them have to deal with thermal energy, so bipolar cautery, radio frequency ablation, laser energy. But any time you have thermal energy, you have collateral damage. And that's what was unique about our approach, is it wasn't thermal. And the way we did that was um, by taking the most frequent procedure that we do and the safest procedure that we do, which is intrauterine transfusion. In this case, what we did was we passed the needle into the, the feeding vessel of this tumor and we passed coils in. Then as soon as the coils come out of the end of the needle, the blood flow to the tumor ceases. And the thing that was beautiful about this approach is that nothing else was affected. There was no collateral damage. You can see on the pathology slides, dead tumor, normal placenta. It's the only field in medicine that has the potential for a mortality rate of greater than 100%, right? You could lose both. When we're offering something as minimally invasive as a needle under local anesthesia, for the mom, there's very little risk to her and potential huge benefit for the baby. All right, so we're back. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what we saw. I, I remember I was at work when you sent it to me. Um, I, I had to work that day because I couldn't go to the appointment anyways. And uh, you sent me that, and oh, I completely lost it, I remember. Uh, so you left the appointment. You called me, obviously upset. I'm upset. And it was probably an hour later that you sent me that. That's how how quick you found this. I just, uh, I still have this vision. I don't know why I wasn't there of you laying in bed, just on your phone, finding anything you can, just a, a mother's intuition, I guess. And, uh, by the grace of God, she did. And, uh, what was it? Three days later we were, well, yeah, I was doing exactly that. I was on the bed, um, scrolling on my phone crying, but there was something in me saying this cannot be it there has to be an answer and the more I was looking the more I was like there is no answer and then luckily you know it was like a miracle video that I had watched because he had talked about you know this amazing procedure that they had just tried which you just listened to his audio so um I didn't know what UPMC was I saw it down in the bottom of the on the bottom of the video it just said UPMC and I was like I wonder where this I saw that the video had been made in 2019 so I was like I wonder where this place is and I look up UPMC and it's in Pittsburgh <laughs> so I was like oh my gosh we literally have been to Pittsburgh probably five times at this point in our life and I yeah, was like least, yeah. that's three hours away you know we can do that so I I found Dr. Emery's email on online and you sent him the email and he responded like that like I sent him an email and I was not expecting much you know this was just kind of like no way this is going to happen but yeah I sent him an email and it was very very general it was the here's it, what I have it was titled giant choreoangioma and I put you know I'm 23 years old I think it was 23 at the time when I was pregnant yeah I no, Emery's, Emery's two going on three, so you would have been 24. Yeah, okay. 24, 25. I just put my age. I put, you know, that I had a giant choreoangioma, and I just said, I want to be your patient. And he emailed me back 
within the hour. It was not much later. And it said, can you be here by Wednesday? So this appointment was on a Monday and I called Zach and, you know, luckily (laughs) we were there on Wednesday and we had the ultrasound and he um, said by this time. So it was Monday and it was just Wednesday and during that ultrasound he had said that my tumor had grown to seven centimeters so when you're looking at um, you know this appointment with Dr. Emery was actually only about a week and a half after the original appointment with my old doctor so Dr. Emery had said if you would have waited four weeks she wouldn't be alive so they had scheduled the follow-up appointment appointment for four weeks from then And I was like, wow. So it was just crazy. He said, you know, she is anemic. You know, you do. I had too much fluid in my, um, that was another symptom of this tumor was, I don't know the actual medical term, but it was too much um, amniotic fluid. And so he said, we really need to get the surgery done. And he said, can you do it Friday? (laughs) So this is Monday to Friday. I hadn't even gotten a call from OSU yet, um, the high-risk department at OSU. So, you know, we did it. And I remember asking him during the ultrasound, I said, I watched your commercial because he had asked us how we found him. How we found him. And he said, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's why we're here. And he was like, wow, that's incredible. And then um, I asked him, I said, how many procedures have you done since then? And he said, you're my third. So um, then I said, well, the video was only about one. So I was like, was your other one successful? And he said that the video was about my second. The first one was not successful. Baby Um, was too sick at the time. The baby's heart. So what had happened was the baby's heart Um, The baby was already in congestive heart failure. So when they stopped the blood flow to the tumor, the baby was getting an increased blood flow and its actual heart couldn't handle the increased blood flow. So it didn't make it. But um, they he said that they had learned a lot during that procedure and that he, you know, he had thought that mine would be successful. My tumor was not that big yet. And or a- as big as that baby's there, it was 10 centimeters. So, um, he said, and Emery's heart is good. So we, um, went back to the hotel Wednesday and I don't think I talked to Zach much at all. For no, I was, uh, I mean, we were both on pins and needles cause we had a whole day in between that I was basically trying to find something we could do in the meantime, because we weren't wanting to do anything really fun. We were basically just trying to find something to fast forward Thursday to get to Friday. Um, and I remember like being in constant prayer during that time. And I was just asking God, you know, to help me accept his will and to um, give me strength. And I was asking for a successful surgery and, but had it not, I, I knew that there was a chance that it wasn't going to, it could be unsuccessful. Well, so I had asked for strength um, in accepting his will, whatever that may be. So I went, I had also, at some point, I the night before 
Thursday, so Wednesday night, I had prayed and I was like, God, just give me a sign that we're in the right spot, that this is the right choice and that this is going and that we're going to be okay. And so the next day I had to go to outpatient and do a, a blood a lab, a blood donation, because, you know, they were going to give Emory blood during the procedure. So when I was checking into outpatient registration, the lady there said, oh my gosh, you're seeing Dr. Emory. And I was like, yeah. And she said, he performs miracles. He's an amazing doctor. And I was like, I've heard, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's why we're here. And she was like, I'll be right back. And so she went, and she got her change purse. And I'm like, what is this lady doing? Like, I don't need money. I was thinking right. that she was going to give me money. And she pulls out a little angel pin. And she said, wear it on your shoulder. So that's what I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a, that meant a lot. Um, she wore that during the surgery. Um well, I actually couldn't wear it during well, the surgery right, because you, you couldn't wear metal. Magnetic, but yeah, but you had it on on your gown and everything. And then, uh, so I, I, I guess we'll jump ahead a little bit. But after this, we'll, we'll get back into the surgery. But we've been back to UPMC. I mean, we checked with her before we checked out the next day because we had to go, what, three or four more times back every two weeks. And then we've been back numerous times, I don't know, probably 10 times since the surgery. And we tried to find this lady to thank her, and we can't locate her. It's I'll let you draw your own conclusions with that, but we have our own beliefs in it. And uh, that uh, that little angel pin has meant a lot to our family. It's uh, going to be one of those sacred family heirlooms for a long time. But uh, go ahead and get back to So, yeah, uh, she gave me the pin, and I just started crying because... It was an answered prayer, and I felt completely at peace. You know, the whole time I was so anxious. And, like, after that happened, I wasn't worried. I had, I've never in my life, I'm Zach probably can attest to this, I am always stressed out. I'm always worried. I'm always anxious. I think that's the only time that I felt, like, complete peace. And it's crazy because I had everybody texting me the day of surgery saying you know we're thinking of you and all this other stuff and I was just thinking it's gonna be okay like well, and we had to answer some really hard questions at that point too like him basically explained to us like okay if the surgery is unsuccessful you know essentially we're gonna have to you know the, the baby's gonna die and we're gonna have to clean everything up and well he had said um she was right on the borderline for the age of viability so it was um I don't know exactly what it is but she was like 23 weeks in some days and the age of viability is 24 weeks or something along those lines so they actually if the surgery wasn't successful they actually did have an obligation to um try to save the pregnancy with in all means and so he had you know, asked me if I would want to have an emergency C-section or if I would just want Emory to, you know, pass. And so I, we said, yeah, we, (laughs) whatever you need to do. Um, that was in the best, that was in the best case scenario too. There was obviously all kinds of other alternatives that weren't as 
even positive of an outlook, even though that doesn't sound like the most positive thing. But yeah, I mean, I remember you going in there and you being relaxed, honestly, like I was very relaxed. I, I can not explain it. God was completely with me, had given me his peace. I haven't felt that since, but I did feel that the day before and the day of the surgery. Um, and it was amazing. I, I will pro- I hope that I feel that again someday, but, um, it was just really nice to know that God was there. So yeah, we had, I had the surgery and it was a complete success. Yeah. So she goes into the operating room and again, this is during COVID. Um, I'm pretty much sequestered to a very small room by myself. Uh, I've got everybody texting me and praying the hardest that I've ever prayed. And again, at that point, I wasn't uh, very active in my faith, but I I hit my knees and prayed the hardest I, I have ever prayed and waited and waited, answering text messages until I eventually had to put my phone down and just be like, I, I will let you guys know. And I couldn't think of anything else other than praying and hoping and just waiting for good news. So I would say it was probably a little over an hour before Dr. Emery came out to me. Um, and anybody that knows me, I have a pacing problem. I can't sit still. I'm, I'm a very high, hyperactive person. And so I'm just pacing, pacing, and then I finally see him. And kind of wish I had the audio from that. We have it on our uh, Christmas record at home. But I had my phone recording basically because I, I knew that I was almost going to be like in blackout mode to where... I'm hearing you, but I'm not going to be able to recollect everything that he's saying. And he comes out and he goes, the surgery was success. Baby's doing great. Mom's doing great. Um, She was a little anemic that they had to give her blood. And uh, tumor had completely dissolved. Um, You know, they watched it happen by cutting off the the feeding vessel to it. And uh, it didn't dissolve, but the blood flow completely stopped. So it had stopped growing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so then I would say it was probably about a half hour later that I got to see you and obviously completely overjoyed and, uh, they're getting ready to discharge us right then and there. Yeah. It was kind of crazy to like go through this procedure that had only been done three times. I was the third time that this had only been done in the United States. Um, Dr. Emery doing all of those and obviously us and Emery, but going home. I mean, literally we didn't see anybody. They were like, you can go home. It was just a needle that went into my uterus, you know, from the outside and they found the feeding vessel and they coiled it Mm -hmm. and that's it. So I had a little bit of like bruising from the needle, but other than that, there wasn't any type of you know, stitches or anything yeah, like it that. Was it was, and we went home. We took our three-hour drive back home that night. So it was a pretty incredible experience. And so we had Emery, and she was healthy. She weighed nine pounds, five ounces. She was born full term, and natural birth and everything. Yeah. No C-section. No, no, no complications there. Um, the only thing, so we she gave birth here in Galleon. The only thing that UPMC was involved with that was we had to send the 
placenta back to them, you know, for research, you know, to see how their how everything went with their surgery. Yeah, I remember one of my ultrasounds in Pittsburgh um, because we had to go back every four weeks. And Dr. Emery goes, I just need one thing from you. And I was like, okay. And Anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was like, I want your placenta. And I was like, you can have my left kidney if you need uh, yeah. it at this point. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah, we did send that to UPMC for research or whatever they needed it for. But... So we had Emery and Dr. Emery. So we named her Emery, of course, after Dr. Emery. Yeah, they'd asked us before the surgery, too, if we'd had a name for Emery. And at the time it was Oakley, but we didn't even say. We were like, no, not yet. And as we were leaving the office, you know, we wrote where under baby's name, we wrote Emery there. And then uh, obviously notified him after she was born. And then. uh, So, yeah, we kind of kept it a surprise. We didn't tell Dr. Emery that we were naming her. And so he had been asking, I want pictures when she's born. You know, I want to know how it went. So we emailed him pictures and we were like, this is me, Emery Quinn. Why, Rick? Nine pounds, five ounces. And he said that, um, you know, there was no greater gift than to have her named after him. So that was pretty special. And we still keep in contact with him. But he had he had mentioned during the after the procedure he had mentioned that emery might be at risk of growths on her liver so this tumor goes along you know they're they're starting to discover that it comes with something after so it's called hemangiomatosis and so he had monitored me my entire pregnancy to make sure that emery didn't have lesions on her liver or her kidney and she or her kidneys and she didn't so we're very lucky but um she was a little jaundice whenever we had her it was covid so they said we could go home and we could as long as we had a follow-up appointment for a doctor to manage the jaundice yeah so that ended up being another blessing in itself because the doctor that we had had pointed out that Emery had a hemangioma on her stomach. I don't think, you know, a, doc- a doctor in the hospital might not point that out. She probably wouldn't have done. Yeah, she had a couple of these, like, red-looking strawberry hemangiomas that just kind of looked almost like small birthmarks at the time. But she had well, a they, few of them, and they kept developing. Like, as days went on, we just kept seeing them pop up. And So, yeah, so hemangioma, uh, strawberry hemangioma is a pretty common birthmark it wasn't uncommon when the doctor said she had a strawberry hemangioma that you know she said it would grow and it would probably go away by the time that she was five and it was on her abdomen so we wouldn't have to worry about anything so I was thankful for that but then I went home and three days later I saw four more and then you know a day later I saw 10 more and so by the time um, we actually got back into the doctor and again with googling it we basically came to the assumption that if they're on her skin, they're internal as well. Yeah, so um, I made an appointment with the doctor and and Dr. Barrett. So she had said, you know, there's a risk that if there's over four on the body, then she probably has some on her internal organs. And when they're on the internal organs, there's obviously a huge risk for they're pretty much blood clots all right. over. Yep. So she um 
set up an emergency ultrasound. So, oh, goodness. <laughs> um, so we had the ultrasound and, again, COVID. So the radiologists were not working in the building at the time. You actually didn't get a report from them. You had to look on my chart at yeah. this time. So we were told, look on my chart and you'll see the results. And if you have any questions, call the radiologist or the radiologist will report back to your doctor and your doctor will follow up. So we were at Akron Children's. We got the report and it had said a lot of things that we don't understand, but it was very obvious that her entire liver was covered um, and they couldn't even distinguish if it was hundreds of little tumors or if it was one giant tumor. So um, she, my doctor, Emery's doctor had already scheduled an appointment with a specialist, but that sp a specialist was on a vacation for an entire week. So I told Zach, we're not leaving this hospital until I talk to somebody about this. Yeah. So we went through multiple floors of the hospital <laughs> until we ended up uh, down in the ER and, uh, I'll be honest, like they did, they, they ended up doing great work, but they had no idea what we were talking about when we got there. Like you knew, you know, I remember verbalizing it for you, but basically saying, here's what these are. They're definitely on her liver. We saw it on the ultrasound and we even knew the medication, like she needs propranolol, which is yeah. a beta blocker that basically kind of like the, the surgery, it starves off the, the tumors. So, yeah. So the ER doctor had never heard of this, um, but he was amazing. And we should specify too, non-cancerous tumors. Yeah, they're benign. Benign. Um, so, but they they can cause serious issues. So this specifically online, organ failure, like liver failure, was if it wouldn't have been treated in the first month of her life it would have been 100% fatal. She would not have lived. And that's just online. Um, so I'm telling the ER doctor this. I'm like, if she doesn't get treated, this is Easter weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if she doesn't get treated, you know, she might not make it until Monday. She might not, or, you know, she might not make it another week. And he um, had called around all these different doctors and he had came back in and he said, we're admitting you. She needs to be put on the medicine, which I guess is really uncommon to get like to leave the hospital and to like get readmitted into the NICU is like incredibly uncommon, especially if you didn't give birth there. So he was amazing. He did a, a great job listening to yeah, us and calling around. He wasn't like, I don't know what this is. It's not a big deal. No. And he kept checking in too. Cause you know, everybody can get impatient when they're at the ER and everything. And he kept coming in. Like I'm, I'm calling around to everyone I know any, I'm looking up people that I can talk to. And then before you knew it, we ended up upstairs in the NICU, got her admitted and they, um, started distributing a very low dose because you have to ramp up the dose of propranolol, just like you have to ramp down. But, uh, yeah. And we weren't prepared to be there overnight at all. Like, yeah, I ended up having to leave that night because I don't even remember who had Brantley at the time, but it was, we had to have someone watch. Yeah. We had someone watch Brantley at the house cause we expected to be back here three hours later. And so we needed clothes, we needed everything. So I went home and got all of our stuff and then came back and then, uh, 
spent a weekend in the NICU, um, Easter weekend. That was, uh, definitely a tough weekend. Obviously we were missing our son. And so we had some family members bring him. And it was again during COVID. So we couldn't, they couldn't be there. They couldn't see Emery. It was just us allowed in the hospital room. So like we basically had to leave Emery with the nurses and the doctors for a half hour or an hour, whatever. That's what we got on Easter with Brantley. We ordered pizza and sat outside and through the football a little bit but yeah and at so the play area at, the, at Akron so yeah yeah it was just kind of crazy but the medicine did work and uh Emery weaned off of it in April of this year and she hasn't had any regrowth so you know there there was a lot <laughs> it wasn't a short two years I was it gonna was say like you jumped forward really a fast really there. really trialing time of our faith and I mean, just yeah. our sanity um we medicine had every eight hours um and it affected her sleep schedule like it was it was a very tough two years um had a lot of ups and downs you know highs and lows where things looked bad things were looking better only to be disappointed later but uh that uh, correlates with the time that we fully invested in our faith and found our church and uh emery wasn't even two when we started coming here yeah emery had already been born when we started coming here so you know we're and because she was in the nursery not the toddler room right away and uh yeah, so we were going through all that, and then uh, just uh, recently, um, we got great news on her. Yeah, so there was a time during all of the the medical stuff that she was going through that her liver enzymes were elevated to really dangerous levels. Um, you know, they had talked about doing a biopsy and all kinds of different things, but luckily we were able to figure out that it wasn't actually, you know, her liver was weak, so this is probably why she had the reaction, but it wasn't actually due to her hemangiomas. It was due to the medicine that she was on. She was having a um, liver toxicity. Well, yeah, not the pro- not the propranolol, but a steroid that they the gave her. prednisone. That really, the, when things were going well, slight elevations were made, and they put her on this steroid, and then it was like the dam broke, and that she had a horrible reaction to that. Yeah, so it was um, prednisone. But, yeah, her liver enzymes had elevated really high, and it was pretty scary for a while. But she, like I said, she's doing really well now, and um, she's not on her medicine, so. Yeah, um, very, very healthy baby. Um, if any well, of you. Well, she's like a toddler now. Well, okay, but. well, she's still <laughs> my baby. So <laughs> I still ask her that all the time. Where's daddy's baby at? Yeah. But, uh, no, she's perfectly healthy. Um, it is the greatest blessing. Um, <laughs> I know Pastor Paul had said, good thing Rochelle, you know, kept her promise to God. And um, I think even before all of this had happened, I knew that I needed God in my life because he had made me so much stronger. But it was just really a, like... I'm so glad that I actually did get to feel his presence yeah. through all of this and I owe everything to God. So, Absolutely. and everybody owes everything to God, but you might not know it until you know it. But, um, just really 
love the relationship that we have developed with him. So, yeah, um, it all really transpired in that two years. Like I said, the highs and the lows, and then getting here, reconnecting our faith, um, just seeing it. I mean, Emery's health obviously is the biggest blessing, but seeing just the little things like when we sit down to dinner and Emery has her <laughs> hands out, let's pray. Yeah, Emery, and like, when we lay down at night, she says, Mommy, let's pray. And she, you know, she says, Dear God, and amen. You know, she hasn't really got the in between yet. She's only two and a half, but it's still incredible because we didn't raise Brantley that way. No, but even him now, I mean, he's been in there since he was nine, and, you know, we. I, we read the Bible with them every night, say our prayers with them, and a monumental difference yeah. in him with his schooling, with really every aspect of him since he's been here. Um, I think he's developed, you know, a good core group of friends from being here and just... I think, too, within the household, he's, you know, every, a lot of things have changed in the household. We never used to talk about God, you know. Yeah. We talked about sports. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so... Well, that hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> but God is the main topic. So I think that, you know, it has changed our entire life in our household and... Our marriage, substantially. I mean, not just him being in our lives and us having that connection. I mean, it's never that we had a bad marriage, but compared to now, it's leaps and bounds. Um yeah, like looking back, I don't know how we got through all the things we got through without God, but I do think that he was always, you know, working in our lives to get us to this point. So just very thankful for everything and the way that everything has happened and for being a part of a church that, like I said, helps us grow in our community, on our relationship with God and um, holds us accountable as Christians because we didn't have that before. And like I said, it would have been really easy to just listen to a podcast alone in my car. And, you know, but I highly doubt that my faith would have grown much. So no, uh, God definitely sent us here with a purpose, knowing that it was going to grow our relationship and our family substantially. Um, And I think that Zach has grown substantially since we've started here. So I know that the spirit is working in both of us and growing in both of us. And it's just a real blessing and honor. So, yeah, um, I, I, I really don't have too much else to add <laughs> to that. I think you, uh, you did really well. Uh, um, yeah, it was it was a very trying time, but I'm really glad that we're at where we're at the the happiness we have I mean you wouldn't know that there was ever anything wrong with her by looking at her and honestly she was like the strongest through it like blood draws every other week right well when her levels were high she had blood draw every week yeah weekly. and actually twice a week for about a month so she really <laughs> I mean it's sad because she looks at me when I get in the medicine cupboard and she's like, medicine? Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing because she's not on it anymore. But she knew how to take the medicine herself. You know, she didn't cry during her blood draws. And we just recently had a blood draw um, September. 
Mm, no. No, it was probably July, honestly. Before school started. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, she hasn't had a blood draw in like a year. You know, she's two now. It's going to be terrible. And she remembered. And she just laid there for Mary at Akron and put her arm out and didn't make a beep. And so she really, she made it easy to go through all of that because she was such a trooper but yeah she was very very strong through that um yeah and that I I've told you this before too I mean during those trying times there was a lot you know you were super stressed out and anxious and everything and obviously I've always been the type that I'm you know it's gonna be okay everything's gonna be great everything's gonna be fine and I was you know I've told you that I remember after her first birthday, finally telling you, like, I feel like I spent the first year of her life, like, mentally preparing for bad news and how I'm going to handle it, you know, taking care of you and Brantley. And thankfully, I never had to get that. Um, it sucks that I had to feel that way. But I, as a father, that's what you do. You're trying to figure out the next step to protect and provide for your family. But thank the Lord over and over and over again that we have a wonderful son and a beautiful daughter that are incredibly happy and healthy and again like I said our marriage better than my wildest dreams (laughs) you know could have ever been with it yeah definitely so I I guess we can wrap up that uh that part I hope we didn't bum anybody out I hope it uh hope it gave you some optimism and seeing you know the the wonders of God and what what he can do (laughs) and uh it's incredible and I'm sure that we're one story of many in this church so I look forward to hearing these testimonies because I think I, I mean God is a miracle worker so I know that there's other stories absolutely yeah um so I think that uh, that wraps up your history, I'd say. I'd say oh, you, uh, <laughs> you you pretty much covered your life. Do you want to tell everybody what you had for lunch today or something like that? I'm just I, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't eat lunch. I didn't pack lunch today. Oh, jeez. So. Goodness. Um, well, I guess uh, the only other thing I would uh, ask you about is you got baptism coming up in a couple weeks. Are you uh, excited yeah, for that? Yeah, so it's going to be hard to really narrow this whole story down into a small video for a small video and everything but points i have had some practice i'm just gonna have to have some practice really breaking it down but i was really anxious about being baptized i don't like being in front of people um but it's all for god and god has done everything for us he's given his life for us and so it's it's not about me. It's about building my relationship with God and taking the next step. So I'm just trying to keep that in mind when I have to um, share this testimony like on camera. But if you are hesitant about getting baptized, know that there's nobody <laughs> that hates being in front of people more than me. And I'm going to do it because it's not about me. So um, yeah, I mean, don't I- be afraid to do it. Yeah, me and the kids were baptized, and she, uh, it was actually after we watched the blind, she was like, will you baptize me? And I'm like, well, (laughs) 
just so happens that this one's coming up at church. So how about we let Pastor Paul handle that? <laughs> and I wouldn't want to be baptized. I mean, this church has done so much for us, so it, it'll be an honor to be baptized here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, is there anything else that uh, you want to add to uh, to the podcast before I uh, get to the wrapping up part? Um, I don't know. Uh, you've, you've pretty much spilled it all. There we go. <laughs> all right. So sorry, the the uh, recording system kind of locked up on me for a second. But uh, I always wrap up every podcast with the guest telling me their uh, their best advice they've been given, the advice or the advice they have given. So floor is yours. Let's hear your best advice. Okay. So I mentioned I don't like talking a lot, but I do like listening. And the early part of my career was listening to old people or medical terminology terminology would be geriatric. I worked in a nursing home doing therapy and I loved listening to the um, geriatric population. I think they have a lot of wisdom, but one of my very favorite um, sayings, but words of advice that I was given by somebody that grew up during the depression-ish era, I'm guessing, was uh, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. Yep, she says that a lot. So <laughs> uh, I think Brantley could probably say that word for word. So that, that and has do been it right or do it twice. Yes, no, <laughs> do it nice or do it twice. Ah, my bad. See, I screwed it up. All right, Brantley, yeah. you're better than me. All right, well, that was an awesome one. I think people like that. So uh, before I wrap up, real quick, we'll uh, we'll go go through the things that are coming up in the life of the church. So currently, right now on Sundays, they are doing the practice for the kids Christmas concerts um, down there in the studio those are on Sundays from five to six um, check the schedule because there is a couple that they're not going to be doing Amanda specifically said that on the uh, what would it be would it be the 28th whatever that Sunday is she does not want to do practice because that is after trick-or-treat in Galleon and she does not want the sugared up kids that weekend so there she's gonna get a break very smart so. yes yes absolutely <laughs> Um, we just had open gym this past Sunday and that was a lot of fun. I am actually still sore from it. We had some boys in there and I was playing full court basketball for quite a while. Pastor Paul even joined in on a game of knockout. So that was fun. Um, but anyway, so PB and J friends is Wednesday from five 30 to seven 30. Um, also adult Bible study, I believe is at 10 AM, nine or 10 AM on Wednesdays. Uh, my wife and I, oh, Rochelle here, sorry, I'm just used to saying that, do the evening one at 7. Um, October 18th, which, again, is Wednesday, is the youth pumpkin carving and reverse trick-or-treat for the youth group kids down there. Um, and then on Friday, October 20th at 6, is the Fall Family Fun Fest, where they're going to be decorating some pumpkins and watching the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Um, I'm really excited for that. The kids are super pumped. We're actually uh, one of Rochelle's co-workers and her family that we hang out with often are coming. Um, she, You'll probably hear from her. She uh, she offered to be a guest on the podcast sometime because she's got a pretty good, uh, pretty good story about uh, their first child. Um, and then uh, this Sunday is the uh, Compassion in Action Oil Change for Single Moms. And then, uh, of course, all the connection groups going on November 5th, the baptism during first and second services. And then on November 12th is from 12 to 3 is membership exploration. We will be attending that. I actually called Pastor Paul to get some more info on that and what that entails and uh, basically giving 
this church's mission and their beliefs and you becoming a member on a uh, more official role. Um, they will serve a light lunch during that. So if you're interested in that, check that out. Um, but other than that, uh, I think that covers everything. I don't, I'd have to look to make sure, but I think you might've, uh, set the new record. Nate had it, um, for the uh, longest interview. How long is this? Uh, currently an hour and four minutes. Oh, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> no, you're good. She kept telling me how nervous she was. And, uh, so when she gets nervous, she gets very blotchy. And so I was just watching her, uh, progressively turn into Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob over the past hour and, uh, now f- hour and five minutes. Yeah. I'm um, going to have to go home and drink some chamomile tea and try to calm down. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, she kept asking me all day too, like, well, what are you going to ask me? What are you going to talk about? How are you going to do this? So I gave her nothing. I told her it's got to be genuine. Um, but I'm very proud of you on the way you did. You did awesome. Um, not only am I proud of the way you did on the podcast, I'm proud of who you have become, who you have always been. You've always been a great person, but you've become such a follower of Christ. And I am super proud to call you my wife and the mother of my children. And I love you very much. I love you too. You're a good, you're a good guy too. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> you're a great guy. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that does it for this week. Um, thanks for listening. Hope, hope we didn't take up too much of your time. And uh, we'll see you all on Sunday. God bless. Strong and his grace is free, and the good news.